This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Hagen dazs and their new Duo ice cream range. Duo is next level chocolate indulgence. Hello and welcome to our October instalment of the Shameless Book Club. This month, we read the incredible debut novel by Alka Joshi titled The Henna Artist. Following protagonist Lakshmi, one of Jaipur's most in-demand henna artists, the novel tells the story of a woman running away from her past in 1950s India in order to forge her own path. But, of course, there's only so far she can run before her ex-husband and a sister she didn't know existed turn up on her doorstep. So, does their arrival mark the beginning of the end for Lakshmi's new life? It's a story about freedom of choice, domestic abuse and arranged marriage, and boy, was it a riveting read. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Hello! Come on down, ladies! (laughs) I'm so ready. Now, Mish, you actually interviewed Alka Joshi, so we'll play that at the end of the episode. So, in terms of introing Alka, where will we begin today? Let's keep it brief, because I do talk to her a lot about her family story in that interview. She gives some beautiful quotes about her mother in particular. But for those who are unaware, I mean, you're going to hear it in the interview, but I think we need to talk about this very quickly regardless. This was Alka Joshi's debut novel. She was 62 years old when it was released into the world. And I just find that fact to be fascinating. Yeah, it's one of my favorite facts about her, I think, because one of the common narratives that we hear or feel very intrinsically, I think, as career-driven people in 2021 is that you kind of, your 20s are time to do all your work and reach the highest heights you can. And it's like, it's not a sprint. Like it's Mm. a marathon. You have so much time to do this stuff. And if you want to write a novel in your 60s or your 70s or whatever, you can do it. So, you know. A very well-received novel as well. She did a great job. Yeah. And not just that, a novel that is about to become a Netflix TV series. Just in the last couple of weeks, it has been announced that Netflix is developing the henna artist into a show starring producer and actress Frida Pinto from Slumdog Millionaire. So I feel like this is just such proof that later in life you can kick goals. That's so naff. Why did I say that? <laughs> as soon as I came out of my mouth, I'm like, what the? Come up with something better than that. You kick can kick some goals. Kick goals. You can achieve it. your dreams. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> Okay, so ladies, this book is predominantly about women. There are Mm. some really strong women at the core of this book. Let's talk about the women's experience in this novel. Mish, let's start with you. Oh, goodness. Well, first of all, I mean, the idea that you would leave a marriage and 10 years later it would be haunting you and following you is terrifying. And I think I really felt something when Lakshmi was saying very early on in the book that she was always expecting Hari to show up on her doorstep at some point in time. Like that idea that your past will always catch up with you and that past is filled with so much shame simply because you didn't want to be with an abusive husband is just an experience that thankfully I cannot relate to, but just fills me with so much dread and sadness for the women who have experienced that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think this like really pervasive theme or thread of like freedom of choice that was woven through this book was fascinating to me because it's interesting here with Lakshmi, who is the character who out of anyone in this book chose to forge her own path. She left her husband, as you said, Mish, and sort of went and did her own thing. And so out of everyone, we're told that she is the one that's most in control of her own destiny because she created this independent life. 
And yet at every turn, I felt like in reality, she was still in this cage a little bit because at any point it could all fall over. At any point, Hari could come back and find her and it could all topple. And I felt like she couldn't create much of this path without her past haunting her. So it was with this weird sort of dichotomy between like, yes, she's free, but she's not that free. Mm. Even outside of her relationship with Hari, I found it kind of interesting to see how she was like so headstrong and independent and like in control of herself yet she would still have to pull Rada up on like her little transgressions, I guess. Like she would constantly scold Rada for being so individualistic and resistant to Mm. social rules. Yet that's kind of who Lakshmi was at her core. It was just kind of a bit of a butting of heads. Yeah, it was interesting because I think Lakshmi really knew that to win the game, I mean, as much as she could in her social class, to win the game, she had to play by the rules of the hierarchy in which she lived. And I think that was a really interesting thing to observe. Like that ceremony where Ravi and Sheila were supposed to be kind of brought together and the families were supposed to meet to set the pathway for this arranged marriage. It was so interesting to see Lakshmi have to bend herself and make herself smaller to fit into that set of circumstances. Like she knew everyone there so well and yet she almost had to make herself invisible as soon as the henna artist work was done. Everyone was sent up to the rooftop who wasn't deemed high class enough to actually be part of the proceedings. And I think those kind of scenarios really made it clear to me and were very, very vivid just how intense and how rigid the class divide was. Yeah, I think you've actually nailed it when you call it a game. Like she knew the rules to this game and Rada came in and I'm sure we'll touch on Rada a bit more later and kind of, you know, threw the board game up in the air. Mm. And I actually find it very moving when I'm reading a book and I learn often through the acknowledgements about the author's personal connection with the story that they have decided to tell. And in this case, the concept of freedom and Alka Joshi wanting to write that narrative was very much about her own mother's story. This quote that she gave to the New York Times is really interesting. My mother never had the decision-making powers, but she gave me so much latitude, so much freedom. I wanted to give her that gift back. I can't change her life, but I can change it in fiction. I can create a character who leaves her marriage and goes off and finds herself and finds her destiny. Mm. I am always very moved by that because I think It's such a well-done book. They're always such well-done books when they come from somewhere. So Joshi actually told Letra Urbana that Lakshmi's finally giving up her house was based on her own freeing experience of herself selling her house after her relationship broke down. Mm. She said, at times we cling to what we know so desperately because we think, oh my gosh, if I let it go, my entire world will come apart. And then when you let it go, you realise that the world is still going on, that it did not fall apart. I wanted Lakshmi to have the same experience and let go of owning things to become independent. It does not have anything to do with it. You feel free when you let things go. The house thread was really strong to me because it was a really interesting metaphor to me. Like to her, it was the ultimate sign of freedom that she has this house that she's built herself, that she's designed herself, but it ends up being like this ultimate burden. And there were times where I was projecting my own 2021 white Western experience on her thinking, give up the house. It's caging you a little bit because it's putting you in so much debt. But obviously projecting my experience, A, is just so completely unhelpful, (laughs) but B, completely misunderstands, I think, what a symbol this was to her. Yeah, I've got to say as well, seeing Lakshmi rise in the first half of the novel and seeing her become someone who didn't just have a full book of clientele for her henna art, but also someone who was now working with the royals. Like Mm. I was filled with so much joy and so much 
excitement, I think, for what was going to happen to her, that when she started to struggle, when that board game was flipped up in the air, all the rules changed. I mean, it also reminded me of like a house of cards toppling over. I just felt more despair and more sadness than I think I have really felt in a book in a very long time, at least in the last year of us doing this book club. Like I just felt so fucking heartbroken for this character because I was like, you have done everything in your power. You have given everything to this job, everything to your women who you service, despite the fact that they treat you like shit half the time. And for the rug to be pulled out underneath you, your feet are fall off the tightrope and to be kind of plunged into despair where you're losing all this weight, you don't have money for food, your entire life has been flipped upside down. The way Elka Joshi made me feel is testament to how much of an artist she is, that this was simple storytelling. Elka Joshi, probably due to her age, is not someone who needs to prove to the reader how intelligent she is. She is not someone who feels the need to write the most lyrical, poetic prose that we have read in this book club. She is someone who just wants to tell a really good story. And I think the fact that she is an older writer meant that she had no ego about this. And that meant the story was so incredibly potent. I wanted to quickly touch on before we moved on the other thread of abortion, which I thought was remarkably done. I kind of wasn't expecting it at the start. And for me, it was great because it kind of showcased the very small ways that women have always tried to take their power back. But what was most interesting is, yes, we have changed so much. Like we don't exist in a world where abortion looks like it did then. We don't live in a world where it's spoken about like it was then. But there was a similarity or a familiarity about the shame maybe Mm. or how I'm like, God, it's been 70 years and this is 1950s India and I still really can't see us coming that far when it comes to our conversations about abortion. It was recognisable. Definitely. I recognise so much of that. It was also interesting having that juxtaposed against a Western perspective. You know how in the book they brought in the Marilyn Monroe references? Yes. And Cantor felt super guilty when she found out that Rada was pregnant mm. and she'd been feeding her all of these Western stories. And I found that so interesting that even though we can appreciate each other's cultural ideals, I guess, there's still so much distance between them. Let's move on to characters. There were so many beautiful characters in this book. I'm sure we loved some. I'm sure we hated some. Zara, let's start with you. <laughs> yes, we loved some. Yes, we hated some. There are so many on my list as well, so we're going to be here for a little while. I know that often when we talk about main characters, we have sort of a low bar for a main character because often they just exist to tie the themes of a story together and are the driver of a novel rather than being the most likable one. I was obsessed with Lakshmi. Love Lakshmi. Yeah, I thought yeah. she was amazing. Like the kind of courage and self-assuredness she had was just exceptional. She was so totally realistic and believable. Like she was this woman who you could see had this like huge but hardened heart. Like when Radha came and started living with her, you knew that Lakshmi loved her and you knew that, but you could tell that she probably would be a bit effusive yeah. as an older sister and probably wouldn't be the kind of person who would overly say, I love you all the time, but would be a woman whose actions maybe showed her love more than her words. Yeah, and I think as well the character development of Lakshmi was also a real highlight of this book that you went from having this very stony-hearted person to a very porous heart at the end of the novel, someone who was ready to let 
the world in, I guess, and who had become quite softened by the experiences that she had gone through. I loved Lakshmi as well. Like, 10 out of 10 character. Yeah. Annabelle, agree? Agree. And especially I loved her relationship with Mullet. Yes. yes. It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Like they just had each other's backs through everything. And I think that's what I was wanting and expecting from her relationship with Rada. Mm. I still adored their relationship. It was something super unique and special in its own right. But her connection with Malik, amazing. Was any part of it the only – like I didn't have <laughs> Don't many... you dare no, ruin Malik I will not because I thought he was – a gorgeous character, like a gorgeous, gorgeous character. <laughs> Sometimes I read it and I was like, I just can't see. I know that there was no clarity fully on his age, but I was like, really? An eight, nine, ten-year-old <gasps> doing the things that he is doing? Like, No, I think age was everything to do with that. A, a kid who's so young who doesn't have inhibitions yet. That's what comes when you're a teenager. But the Maybe maturity the- of some of the, the ways that he was able to think, <laughs> yeah. the problem solving, I was like, I'm not worried about it. Like he was a perfect character, but I was a bit like, really? I will not hear this Malik slander. <laughs> he was a 10 out of 10 for me. At the very beginning though, I thought that he was older than he was actually. And I yeah. thought that they had a bit of a romantic thing going on. <laughs> And then they clarified his age and I was like, okay. Let's (laughs) let's put that one to the side. Oh, my God. Talk about misreading one thing and then halfway through the book being like, oh, wait a second. The shame of of that happening. It happens to all of us, doesn't it, when you're like, oh, my God, I really miss that. Wasn't there a book club book where I thought, like, two siblings were dating or something? I remember there being a book club book where I'm like, I have gotten this so royally wrong. Okay, controversial one character who I didn't hate and maybe I was supposed to was Samir. I kind of liked Samir and when they were having sex, I was like, number one, great sex writer, Elka Joshi. <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10. We bring it up in every book club episode, but big green tick to that scene. I didn't mind Samir. I know he was deeply flawed in many ways. He was probably also deeply sexist in many ways as well, but... There was something about him where I enjoyed his role in the book. It's like you don't want a Samir-like character in your own life, but that kind of bad boy charmer vibe is great to read on the page. Yes. That's a great point. Uh, Samir's really interesting. I liked Samir maybe until the end. And then at the end I was like, you're just as bad as the rest of them. Like, And maybe I was projecting my anger at his son, at him. But I was like, you can see the injustice of all of this. You can see that your son is going to be totally fine. You can see that two young women have had their lives all but ruined here and you just, like, don't really care. Yeah, that's a very intelligent unpacking of the situation. There there was something particularly charming about him. I will totally give you that. Do you think that he really cared for Lakshmi? Do you think he loved her or was close to loving her? No, I think he just found her hot and wanted to sleep with her. It's easy to think that he maybe loved her. They had a lot of chemistry, but agreed, Mish. I also think he got off on the class thing. I think he enjoyed the fact that she had to rely on him. He enjoyed the fact that he could help her financially. He enjoyed the fact that he could give her a leg up in life that she wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And I think he kind of got off on that power dynamic. He seemed to get off on that during his affairs anyway. Can we talk about the sex scene, by the way? What the hell was the the mistress? Can someone clear something up in my mind? Was the mistress in the room hiding behind something? Because at the end she talks about the mistress coming out and it sounded like it was in the room that the mistress was hiding behind like the wardrobe or something. I didn't think she was in the room, but near the end it was implied that she was listening to the conversation. But I was like, they were yelling. Like they were having a a tense argument. I can't imagine 
the walls of this house being particularly huge. Like yeah, if someone true. was having an argument in, yeah. in my apartment, I'd be able to hear it either from right outside it or even, to be honest, on the other side of the apartment. I was like, I just think it's a small dwelling. Very ballsy of Lakshmi to have sex with yeah. this man and his mistresses. It, did, it wasn't written as if it was like silent sex yeah. <laughs> at all. So I was like, oh, dear, this poor mistress. I do think we need to talk about Hari because for me, I have not really read a character like Hari before. Redemption is really hard to read, I think, in this case. Like, I I didn't know what to feel. I didn't know what I was meant to feel, but what I felt was that I believed it. Like, I believed that maybe he did want to do good after doing some bad things in his life. And I think the reason for that is because his mother sounded like one of the most wonderful people, if not the most wonderful character in this book. And I was like, there has to be something in you that's got to be a tiny bit like her, surely. I agree in that redemption is hard to write. I didn't love Hari at all. I didn't love him. I should put that out there. I didn't like him. Uh, By the end, I know that maybe I was supposed to feel like he had become a changed person, but I just don't think it's that easy. I fully believed it and I really liked it. I thought it was really believable. I thought the way that his mother, like again, masterful storytelling. Don't even think we got a direct sentence or really a direct story from Lakshmi's mother-in-law. And yet the influence that that character had on the book was remarkable. I loved her as well. She was probably number one on my list of lovable characters and for a character to be that loved who never has a line of dialogue it's crazy very no name no name yeah yeah it's an incredibly complicated storyline to swallow though and I don't think anyone has written it well or done it in such a way where I'm like oh okay like I can see what you're doing here and yes it's hard but I think I think that I do believe it Rada didn't like Rada sorry (laughs) I saw this in your notes and I disagree really I thought there was like an endearing innocent quality about her yeah she was annoying (laughs) and yeah like she really pissed off Lakshmi I just liked their dynamic it was so nice to read Mm, I think and uh, apologies 2012 13 or 14 year olds listening I'll speak from my own personal experience I didn't like any of my siblings when they were 12, 13 or 14. Didn't particularly like myself at that age either. Oh, fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) Like 13, you are a person who is incredibly selfish, quite annoying. Oh, all right, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Very difficult to kind of reason with. And I understand why Rada was the person she was. Definitely my least likable character. Probably with actually slightly above Ravi. Ravi was right down there with the worst of them. But... Rada, just every time she came up, I felt like shaking her by the shoulders and being like, get it the fuck together. I have to agree with you. The thing that I struggled with about Rada was in the first few pages, we got this picture of this incredibly courageous, incredibly resilient, incredibly astute, young 12, 13-year-old girl. And then within the space of what, 10 pages, she's suddenly incredibly petulant. Mm. And I was like, I I can't see these two people being the same person. And it's like, well, maybe this is a teenager, that they can be really, really courageous and resilient and really, really petulant at the same time. But most of the time I was like, yes, you can be a bit shitty at 13, but surely she, given the things that she's been through and what we know of her already, is a bit more mature than this. Mm. Like surely she can see all that Lakshmi has done to build herself up to this and try not to fucking ruin her life. I feel like at the beginning she was resilient because she was kind of forced into this self-sufficiency, 
Whereas then when she met Lakshmi, she was like, I have a sister, I have a family member and fell into that dependency. And I, I think that's really believable. Very that's astute, fair. Annabelle Lee. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. And then it maybe became very comfortable very quickly. Yeah. I think she expected a lot of Lakshmi very early. But then, of course, you're 13 and you meet a family member. Of course, you're going to assume that they can give you the world. And if you felt cheated, if you felt cheated out of the love compassion care that you should have had as a child maybe that's what happens you finally find that in someone and you begin to take advantage of it yeah that's very true I think with Cantor as well I couldn't connect with Cantor because the entire time I thought maybe she was going to do something bad oh yeah I think because we had Pavati and we couldn't trust Pavati and a lot of the women that uh, Lakshmi works for could have turned on her like that, I was like, well, why would Cantor be any different? How interesting. So the whole time I was a little bit on edge about Cantor and then by the end when everything was fine, I was like, oh, what a waste of emotion. <laughs> I didn't feel that at all. I I didn't particularly like Cantor. I think she probably played a role in the book. I just didn't feel much for her. I certainly – I don't think we needed as much detail about her family maybe. Like the stuff about her mother-in-law and stuff was brought up quite regularly whereas I was like, we could probably cull that That's probably for pace. Like, yeah. I liked Cantor. She was like the wholesome person in the story and provided a good like balance with Lakshmi's determined drive and Cantor kind of softened that. She was warm to Lakshmi's warmth. cold. I think, yeah. I, I don't know, I didn't like her though when she kept like <laughs> exposing Radha to all of these very otherworldly ideas as was termed in the book. I felt annoyed. I was like, this is a 13-year-old girl. I am being the annoying older sister, being like, it's not very responsible. I feel like Cant herself was under the spell of, like, the Western sexy Marilyn Monroe vibes. <laughs> like, I didn't blame her at all. I felt like it was very realistic. Agree to disagree on that one as well, Annabelle. <laughs> Coming up after the break, we discuss the plot twists of the book. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Mish and Annabelle, you both know how much I love a cosy, quiet corner to read my books. Gosh, there's nothing better, is there? There is nothing better. Nothing beats slowing down with your favourite book and perhaps even a little treat. There's nothing quite like enjoying a book club read with the help of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Haagen-Dazs is a spoonful of luxury and let me just say it could be the creamiest ice cream I've ever eaten. Haagen-Dazs creates high quality velvety textured ice cream through carefully selected ingredients with an unforgettable taste. I'm getting a bit hungry already. (laughs) I'm salivating. Every scoop starts with real cream, milk, eggs and sugar and I think this is where the little taste of luxury comes into things. Haagen-Dazs have recently launched their new duo ice cream collection and it is just that little bit extra special. Boy, is it ever. The duo range comes in two flavours, including dark chocolate and salted caramel, as well as Belgian chocolate and vanilla. It is the perfect mix of your two favourite ice creams side by side, entwined with silky smooth chocolate sauce and crunchy chocolate shards. It is so good. The range has something to suit everyone, especially if you're a bit of a chocolate addict like myself or everyone else in the shameless office. The next time you're tucked away reading your book, treat yourself to the ultimate indulgence. If you want to try Haagen-Dazs Duo Ice Cream Collection for yourself, head to your local Woolies, Coles and select IGA stores to check them out. Thank you so much to Haagen-Dazs for making this episode of Shameless possible. Alrighty, let's talk plot twists. There were quite a few in there, but were they predictable? (laughs) Michelle, what did you think? Look, I've been very glowing of this book so far because I did truly adore it. I think this is my major gripe, my only gripe really with the Henneratist. I felt like 
almost every plot twist was not a plot twist. The one that I'll give Alka Joshi a pass mark for was Rada's pregnancy. Like I did, yeah, maybe a couple of pages before when she was talking about how womanly her shape was and how tired Rada was. I was like, wow, Rada's pregnant. And that was a surprise. And that was very concerning (laughs) as a reader. The two twists that I absolutely saw coming were the father of Rada's baby. I didn't need to go through 20 pages of wondering who the father was. I knew the father and I thought it was abundantly clear based on previous scenes that we had read through. The second twist that I definitely saw coming was, unfortunately, Canter losing her baby. Like we had all of this storyline about her pregnancy losses in the past, her bleeding throughout the pregnancy, needing to be on bed rest. Unfortunately, I saw the whole rest of the book and how it was going to play out and the fact that Rada's baby would eventually somehow end up with Canter. I probably saw that a hundred pages before the finish. And I hate, I don't want to be arrogant sitting here like, I figured it all, like fucking out, I'm the best. I don't think that. I think a lot of people would have shared my experience with that. I think for me, I guess I wasn't expecting this book to be a book where my enjoyment was dependent on there being twists and turns to keep the pages turning. Like I was so invested in the characters and the settings that I wasn't trying to look ahead. Like I didn't really think about what was going to happen with Rada and Cantor and the baby and all of that. Like I wasn't worried about it. I was very present in this book because it wasn't a thriller. Like it wasn't the kind of book that encourages you to look really far in advance. I wasn't thinking that I was going to close this book and be like, whoa, that was <laughs> like, that really took me off guard. Yeah. I think I was just so enjoying how she wrote so vividly that I felt very present in it. Yeah, I feel like the purpose of the book wasn't to be plot twisty. And if I know Alka Joshi, and I think that I do, (laughs) I feel like if she wanted to give us plot twists, she would have. Like she would have withheld that information beforehand and not kind of breadcrumbed us. I feel like she's got the skills to truly surprise us. I just feel like if I was editor, I would take out the scene with Hari where she like assaults him and says, you got my sister pregnant. Because I was reading that being like, why? We are wasting time here. Like we know what's going to happen. And I didn't mind that. I uh, kind of thought like that's how lowly she thought of Hari, that she thought that he would do that. And that's how terrified of him she was. One thing that I was very nervous about was Alka Joshi teaming up Lakshmi with the doctor, whose name has actually escaped me Dr. already. Dr. Kumar. Dr. Kumar. I love Dr. Kumar. I, I love them to be together. No, but, but I was like, it's too convenient and it would be too annoying that after everything she's ever done, we literally just palm her off and be like, there's her safety when she's done so much by herself. And I guess that's kind of what did happen in the end because we had that line where she was blushing looking at him on the train station. So I guess she essentially was palmed off. But I was like, I don't know about that. And I was talking to a girlfriend who actually recommended me this book, which was why we wanted to do it for book club. And she was like one of the only things that she didn't love about this book. The only gripe she had was the ending just didn't feel realistic for her for it to work out so well for a woman in the 50s in Jaipur. Interesting. And I understood that. And I kind of, my perspective was like, yeah, and her with Dr. Kumar, like, did we need to do that? Like, she has never needed anyone else. Why do we suddenly need to pair her up? I really, really wanted them to end up together. So I, I actually think that's why I thought Malik and Lakshmi were going <laughs> to end up together. So I just feel like I always want a romantic kind of storyline interwoven throughout the book. But that's a great point by your friend who recommended this book. I agree. But like as a, <laughs> as a novel, I found it really satisfying to yeah. have that ending. You basically just said, I agree, but I really disagree. <laughs> if that makes sense. I 
disagree with Zara. I could have dealt with all of the cheesy factor. I think I realised it myself that when the fucking bird appeared on the train and was saying, <laughs> hello, bonjour, whatever, I was like, wow, this book, I've felt <laughs> so much sadness with this book that I'll truly swallow every bit of sugar Elka Joshi wants to <laughs> squeeze into my mouth. Well, it's like when the bird jumped on the plane, it's like, oh, we're really going there. Like, we've <laughs> yeah. got a, a chirpy bird on the shoulder of Malik as they're leaving the train station with Hari waving goodbye. 100%. I also think as well, you made a point earlier, Zara, like I didn't read this for the plot twist. And I agree with you. I did not read this for the plot twist. The breadcrumbing to all of the plot twists did not make me not enjoy this book. I very much enjoyed this book. I think if the twists were slightly better executed, it would make this book go from very, very good, in fact, great in my books, to perhaps favourite book ever. Nice. Wow. I mean, I think that leads us to <laughs> the rating. <Yeah. laughs> okay, who shall I pick on first? You pick, pick on yourself. Okay, I'm pick, I'm pointing to myself. Okay. I'm picking myself. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Interesting. Out of five. Beautiful. It was a vivid, vivid read. I could picture the colour and the saris and the patterned floor and it was beautiful. Alka, let's be friends. <laughs> I will go five out of five. I think if I was trying to be pedantic and go to a decimal point because of the plot twist, I'd give it a 4.8. Don't do that to the poor book. 4.8, but rounding up to five. I give it a five too. Yeah. It's very rare this happens. I'm giving the lowest rating. I know. What a book. Oh, we're so lucky to have read it. (laughs) And we are very lucky as well to have sat down with Elka Joshi herself. I very, very much enjoyed this chat with her. I hope all of you listening enjoy it too. We'll play it now and then after the interview, a juicy little teaser for you all because we are announcing next month's book. Elka, this book, honestly, is one of my favourite books that I have read probably ever. I absolutely adored it. It was one of those books, to be honest, where I completely lost track of checking the page number. When a book lags for me, I'm often looking down at the page number and checking it constantly. You managed to write a book where I breezed through it and I enjoyed every single sentence. How do you feel that it's been out in the world for over a year and it's had such a gorgeous reception? Oh, I am just over the moon about that. I cannot even believe that it has reached thousands and hundreds of thousands of women across the world. You know, I started out writing this book for my mother. I just thought I want to give my mom this life that she didn't get to have through Lakshmi. And, you know, Lakshmi gets to decide her own fate, her own destiny, starts her own business and is very successful and then decides to leave that business at some point. So I just thought, you know, I'm giving my mom this life. Well, I had no idea that it would resonate with so many women around the world who are just waiting for someone to say to them, it's okay for you to follow your passion. Yeah. Where were you when you had the idea for this book? I mean, even that question acts like there was one day or one moment where the storyline just came to you or the seed or the kernel of the idea came to you. Was it like that or was it more gradual than that? I think it was a little more gradual than that. My mother spent the last seven years of her life with us. And with my mother, I was going back and forth to Jaipur right around the time that I started to learn how to write fiction. And because of that, I think, because I was seeing India through her eyes and spending more time with her than I had since I was 18 years old before I left for college, all of a sudden, it was like she came alive for me as this person 
who had a destiny, but who did not get to live a full life the way that she afforded me to do that. And so this idea of just giving her this opportunity to do that through fiction came. And then the name Lakshmi came to me because that was the goddess whom my mother prayed to. You know, almost every Indian woman has an idol, a a goddess whom she prays to. And so that was my mother's. And then I thought, oh, Lakshmi is the goddess of beauty and wealth. This is amazing. Like what a great way to talk about Lakshmi. She is beautiful, just like my mother, because my sort of idea of Lakshmi and the way I describe her is exactly my mother. My mother had these green gray eyes and I have blue gray eyes. And so that's why Radha and Lakshmi both have these watercolor eyes. And also I think that, you know, I was just thinking about all the ways in which the women of India have been so resilient despite the patriarchy, despite the fact that, as I say in the first line of the book, independence changed everything for Indians and for the government and for the way India was going to go forward as an independent nation. But independence changed nothing for women. Women were still the second-class citizens of that culture. So it was just like a coalescing of all of those kinds of things coming to me. Then all of a sudden, one day my husband came home with a book that has henna patterns in it. It has these hands with henna patterns. And I thought, that's what Lakshmi is going to be doing. She's going to be a henna artist because what else would a woman with no formal education do? How could she make a living? This is one way that she can make a living and she can make it very cleanly. She doesn't have to be a prostitute or, you know, do some other kind of thing. But here she can be a henna artist and with her artistic skill, she can be a henna artist that excels above and beyond everyone else. And then I thought, okay, what about a henna artist who not only does henna, but then also because of everything that she knows about Indian spices and herbs and ingredients, she also helps these women realize their desires and dreams by feeding them things while the henna is going on. So that was like, oh, okay, now she's actually also going to do that. Well, where did she learn that? She had a mother-in-law who taught her. So that's kind of how the whole thing sort of, you know, it just really does snowball into this whole story. And then all of a sudden I'm off and running. (laughs) What kind of conversations have to happen with your family as you're either writing this book or before you sit down and write it, or maybe after you've written it, but before it comes out into the world, what conversations do you have with people who might not be themselves in the book, but aspects of their lives or your shared history might be in that book? I don't really think that I asked my parents about any of that. What I did do, though, I did ask my father about a lot of what was happening politically and economically in India at that time, because I did want to cover that exuberance and excitement that Indians were feeling post-independence, reestablishing their identity and figuring out how they wanted to be in this world, how they wanted to be represented. So dad gave me a lot of information about that. With mom, it was more that when we were traveling through India, I was listening to what she was saying, things like we would go to the sari bazaar. And she would say, honey, now remember, do not buy the saris with the little mirrors on them. Those are tiki tacky. (laughs) 
And if you are a city woman, you do not wear those. Uh, you know, and then we we would go to the fruit market and she would tell me about the fruit that she can't get in the United States. And that was her favorite fruit of all time. And she loved it. And she would, you know, buy it uh, on season. Oh, and then we also went to her old school. And I got to see where my mother was in college at the time that she was 18. And her father said, you got to come home. We have found a perfect engineer for you to marry. If I wait any longer, he said, you are going to be a spinster. And it will be very <laughs> difficult for us to marry you after the age of 18. So she went home and she got married and her life was always at somebody else's behest after that. What was the most difficult aspect of writing this incredible debut novel? I think that one of the biggest challenges I had was that I have not lived in India since I was nine years old, right? And so I wanted to make sure that I could authenticate it to the point where no South Asian would ever read it and say, this isn't real. This doesn't feel like us. This isn't the way life is lived. But quite the reverse has happened because I spent so much time doing research and making sure that every little piece of it is very authentic that the uh, kind of comments I received from South Asians and the Indian subcontinent is, oh my God, how did you write this novel about India that feels so real when you haven't lived here since you were nine years old? <laughs> and the more interesting thing, I think the sort of real surprise in all of this has been that it's not just South Asians reading it, right? It's been translated into 23 languages. So we've got Swedes reading it. We've got Russians reading it. We've got Chileans reading it. Spaniards, French, everybody is reading this novel and finding something in it that captures their imagination. And they all empathize with Lakshmi. They all understand what she's going through and the struggle to maintain this very independent life and control over her destiny. You were 62 when The Henna Artist was released into the world. I'm curious, do you think age and life experience meant that you could write this book in a way that you would not have been able to at a younger age? Do you think, I guess, maturity and perspective really helped shape this? Yes, Michelle, I absolutely. I don't think I could have written this book at the age of 20 or 30 or 40. It really did take all of those decades of understanding life and relationships and loss and grief and death, all of those kinds of things really helped shape the characters of this novel and how they are processing the things that are happening to them in this book. I could not have done that in my 20s. I just didn't have enough life experience, didn't have enough information. I didn't know myself. I know myself so much better now. I understand other people so much better now. So it makes it a lot easier to write these very deep and meaningful characters. Mm. Which character did you enjoy writing the most? Who was the most difficult to say goodbye to? Because I can imagine you become so close and you almost embody these fictional people for so long. They become your life and almost your family in some way. How do you say goodbye to them? Who was the character where you're like, oh, God, I could write about this person and embody this person forever? <laughs> so I loved Lakshmi, of course, because she is a combination of my mother and me. The way that Lakshmi deals with her business environment, the way that she negotiates, the way that she sort of sidesteps some of the patriarchy in her business, those are all things that I have learned having my own business for 25 years. 
So it's very hard to say goodbye to a character that, you know, is really a big part of me and a big part of my mother. But I also had a hard time saying goodbye to Moloch because he's such yes. a charming young man. Oh, I loved him. He was just a, a delight, a, a pure, like delightful character. Yes. And he came fully formed. I don't know where he came from. I don't know anyone like him. But you see tons of street children like him, you know, walking the streets of India in the big cities. And so he just became the embodiment of those very resourceful, very interesting and kind of cheeky characters that I see all over the streets. And then he became so large in my mind that I ended up writing the sequel, The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, after him. So The Secret Keeper of Jaipur is really all about Malik at the age of 20. I think the person that I had the hardest time probably saying goodbye to, or maybe I had the most fun creating, was the older Maharani. I adored her. She was so out there. You know, she was just, she's watering her orchids with gin and tonics. She is having Lakshmi turn around so that she can see what shape her head is because she doesn't want to talk to people who don't have the right shape of head. I don't know where that eccentric character came from, but I, I just, I also adored her. And she was just so much fun. Every time she came on the page, I would find myself smiling as I was writing. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I think my favorite scenes in this book were the ones that were set in the palace or the ones that were actually set in the hospital. I don't know what it was, but maybe because they both had that caring element to them. They just felt so vivid and so real. It was just honestly a gorgeous, gorgeous book. And also, you know, that last scene in the hospital between Lakshmi and Radha, that actually was the hardest scene for me to write. It was the hardest by far because I had to get inside both of those women's heads Radha, who desperately wants children and really understand what that's all about. And then Lakshmi, who does not want children and wants Radha to, you know, give up this baby. So what is compelling both of these women in their uh, two different viewpoints? And how do I have them in a conversation which comes to some sort of a conclusion that they can both live with? That was the hardest scene to write. Now, you know, of course, that Netflix has announced that they will be producing or they are developing the henna artist as a limited TV series. And the scene that I'm most interested in seeing them realize is the one where Lakshmi is dancing on her floor, that floor that she designed in her house, the floor that is the map of her life. I cannot wait to see that scene because, you know, we're going to have those little dias, those little oil lamps set up all around the room. And I'm dying to see how the producers put that floor together. Are they actually going to build a mosaic floor? Are they going to somehow paint it so it looks like a mosaic floor? I don't know, but I love that scene. And then I love the dancing. Kathak dance is very, very beautiful if you've never heard it before. I cannot wait to see what they do with this. Thank you, Elka, so much for talking with me. Thank you for putting this book out into the world. I think already from the feedback we've received from our community, it is one of their favorites that we have done in the book club for over a year now. So thank you so, so much. And congratulations on the incredible success you've achieved. Oh, Michelle, thank you. And thank you for bringing books like this to the attention of your readers. I really appreciate it. I love my Australian readers, primarily, I think, because of their accents. <laughs> I love their accents. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you.
thank you so much for listening to our October installment of the Shameless Book Club. Next month, we're trying our hand at our very first ever non-fiction book. Yup, that's right. Next month, we are reading the memoir from activist Yeonmi Park called In Order to Live. Haven't heard of it? Well, Yeonmi Park is a North Korean defector who escaped across the Gobi Desert and is now a leading spokesperson for human rights. Here is a blurb from that book. Yeonmi Park was not dreaming of freedom when she escaped from North Korea. She didn't even know what it meant to be free. All she knew was that she was running from her life, that if she and her family stayed behind, they would die from starvation or disease or even execution. This book is the story of Park's struggle to survive in the darkest, most repressive country on earth, her harrowing escape to South Korea through China's underworld of smugglers and human traffickers, and her emergence as a leading human rights activist all before her 21st birthday. Cannot wait for this one. It is so different. Guys, we are on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club. So come find us, come chat with us, come see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be back in your ears on Monday for another episode of Scandal. Bye. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.